Sarah from Clear Eyes Full Shelves, and welcome to the second half of our discussion about diversifying our reading with author Sarah Oakler and blogger Raquel from The Book Barbies. If you missed the first half of this episode, visit cleareyesfullshelves.com slash the podcast to find the first half. On that page, you'll also find podcast extras like links to books and articles. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so on that page too by signing up for a free no-obligation trial of Audible, which I love, or by clicking on our Amazon link next time you're shopping online. We wanted to actually talk about um, marketing and publicity and that sort of issue, and I don't know. Which um, I don't really know much about. I don't know much about either. Sarah, you had mentioned that you had um, not really had any issues yourself with, um, you, you know, publicity and that sort of thing, particularly related to the Book of Broken Hearts. Um, but I know that there have been instances, um, like, for example, the cover of Liar by just... Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I've just spaced on her last name. But I know, I know what it what it looks like, but I can never pronounce it. It's um, a Lara 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 Bestier. Yeah, and um, sorry, Justine, for butchering your name. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I her her book ultimately had just a fantastic cover in the end, but the original cover was um, quite in all um, post. Um, a link so people can see both of the um, covers, but the original one was completely uh, whitewashed. I mean, it was in no way depicting the character in that book. Um, and there's been numerous other instances as well. Of, mm-hmm. um, and I and and I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if that comes from just like lack of awareness to where people have that default that oh this this is a like quote unquote mainstream novel, so it must just there must we should use a white person on the cover or if it is more insidious in sort of a marketing perspective that a character has to look a certain way in order for, the in order for them to be in a cover that sits on a shelf on Barnes and Noble, you know, right. I've often wondered what those meetings are like because, you know, you, you want to think that people at heart are quote good and that, you know, it's, there's not like one guy sitting there going, putting a black person on this cover would doom this book. You know, you want to think that that's not happening, that it's more just sort of, I don't know. I get the sense that a lot of times people, again, they have the best intentions, but intentions don't count for anything when, when ultimately people end up getting hurt over it. Um, but I just, I, I think that there's still a lot of reluctance because there's this fear that a book that has a, a person of color on it is only going to be purchased by readers who exactly match that description. Right. And I think that's ridiculous. But I know, um, like when I walk into the bookstore in the YA section, which is pretty much the only part of the bookstore that I hang out in <laughs> mostly, um, that's my own bias. But I still see predominantly white covers, white people on covers, or you know, kind of stylistically hidden. I think this is a problem too. There'll be like a, you know, maybe they won't put a white person, but it'll still be like a silhouette or kind of shadowed or a mixed race person. Cause it's considered, you know, passive quote, passable, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, that's really problematic. Uh, I think that it is starting to change. It's slowly changing. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. I, I, it's like, again, the chicken or the egg thing. People, marketing people are trying to sell books. And so it's good that they want to get the book into the reader's hands and, and reach out to the most readers and support that book and that author. But at the same time, it kind of feels like a backhanded way of doing it. Yeah. Um, but they think like, oh, the buyer won't buy 
the book and then they won't stock it and run it. It, this is another thing that I don't think all readers realize just because you have a book published doesn't mean that it will be stocked at Barnes and Noble, which is really the only chain bookstore left national chain. You know, the Barnes and Noble has a book buyer. There's one person, a YA buyer who looks at the catalog and decides whether or not to stock your book. So the publishers are doing everything they can to get that buyer interested in your book. And a lot of times they they do things maybe with with good intentions, but that ultimately aren't, aren't the right way to do it. Actually, though, have you looked at, like, the middle grade shelves in Barnes & Noble lately? No, I haven't. Worth poking around because there definitely is more of a mix of, I mean, styles, for one thing, on covers, mm-hmm. but a mi- more of a mix of people on the middle grade shelf covers than in the YA section or That's in the middle section. And That's heartening. And, yeah, and I don't know if there's, if me. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know if admit, that's just completely anecdotal, you know, uh, on my part. So I don't know if, like, I'm just, I just happen to go to a Barnes & Noble that has a better selection or um, what have you. But there it, it seems to me like there's a little bit more happening in terms of, like, the physical depiction on the cover of books in that market. And I don't know if maybe there's a perception that because parents are doing more of the I, I don't know what it is. Um, and then maybe I'm just observing a phenomenon that's not a real phenomenon. But um, I do, it seems like there is more, um, and, and in particular, Hispanic characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, I mean, I think that's good if it could, like, that could sort trickle. of like trickles, yeah. yeah. I mean, because those, those, you know, like ten year olds are going to be sixteen year olds soon. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, right. I mean, it's getting to a point where publishing is going to hurt itself by assuming that its only audience is a white audience and that they're the mm-hmm. ones who are buying the books. Okay, mm-hmm. when you have a huge percentage of the population that is not white, and you're assuming that they don't matter and they are not going to buy these books, that only hurts their sales. Right, I agree. Um, and I mean, I have also, I mean, I in general sort of have some issues with photographic covers anyway, which has mm-hmm. to do with, uh, like, there's, uh, you know, I mean, I don't dislike them. Some of them I really like, but in general, like, I think a lot of, like, there's issues with, like, you know, body type and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's so many things with, like, people on book covers. I think there's, like, a reason you don't see that a lot in, like, adult fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go outside, yeah, yeah. out of genre, no, outside of genre saying. fiction. So, I mean, I do think there's, if you see it, it's that's all genre fiction is. But um, the, there's something I can, um, I don't know. I mean, you can go either way with that. But I, I have some issues with people on book covers in general because it can reinforce so many things that are not good. <laughs> like it's like impossible to like pick up a cover with a person on it and be like oh this one has someone who looks semi-dead this one has someone who like you know is like you know very wayfish or this one I mean it's just it's like it's hard to not pick apart covers regardless but um. it's so hard even to just think about I, I can just imagine you know working in the publisher and, and just trying to figure out what's going to make this book stand out on a crowded shelf. And I, I get it. I get that that's what they're trying to do. But I think what happens, like when you have 
you know, anything where there's a committee that's trying to decide yeah. what's best, there's a tendency toward mediocrity because nobody wants to disagree. Everybody wants to reach a consensus. And so sometimes that just means that people aren't willing to take the risks that, that need to be taken in order to make change. Right. And I, you know, and I don't know the answer. Like I recently read, um, fake ID by Lamar Giles. Have you guys read that or heard about it? I haven't read it yet. I haven't read it. I quite liked, like, I quite, I recommend that book pretty highly. Um, and the main character is African-American and I love the cover of that book. Um, but at the same time, like I find myself like, I really love that cover. Cause I just, I think it's a really good cover. Like, it's really eye-catching, and it looks like it's exciting, and it's got good colors, and it's what, it doesn't look like everything else. Um, but at the same time, it is, there is, you can't, it is like it's sort of almost this typical, like, silhouette sort of look mm-hmm. on the, mm-hmm. that cover. And it's like, well, that's kind of problematic, too. Like, if this had been a, you know, this sort of mystery crime thriller about, a 17-year-old white boy instead of a 17-year-old African-American boy. Like, what would, like, how would the cover have looked? Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I don't have the answer. Um, I think it's got a really good, like, um, it's got a really good, like, marketable cover, but I don't, um, it's not a great, I'm, like, pulling it up so Laura can see the cover. I guess you can (laughs) sort of see that he's maybe not white. Yeah. But... It's not super apparent. He's wearing a hoodie. It's, you know. It's, yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know what the what the right call is with, like, a book, right. that book. You know. Because it is a cool cover. It's a cool, it's a cool cover. Like, I think it's, it's one of those covers that, like, sort of, like, doesn't have a, it's not like, you know, a, a boy would be like, oh, my God, it's got pink. I can't read it. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, it's sort of got a nice sort of universal teen appeal. Like, it looks exciting. And it's, you know, the clothes the, the character is wearing on the cover are very contemporary and look like what teens wear. And, um, you know, the typography is really great. And it's kind of grunged out and looks like it might be a little hard-boiled. So... But again, I mean, it's like, well, is it also a problem, though, that the boy is? I don't know. Yeah. It's still, you know, a lot of times it still feels like a compromise. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm look, I'm looking at the, now this is an interesting example. So the book Misfit by John Scavron. Oh, yeah. Have you guys read that one? I love that book, I actually. haven't read it, but um, I know the cover. Yeah, I haven't read yeah. it. Yeah. So the hardcover is, is mostly just a typographic sort of stylistic mm-hmm. um cover but then when the paperback came out they actually did put the main character on but she's she is shadowed but yeah. you can still you can tell that she is um she's black like she has she has the hair the yeah. hair which is a part of, a big part of the story too and her lips are fuller and but it's you know i still wonder like what conversations around that yeah that, like, uh, was there a package conversation that said like how mm-hmm. far can we go with depicting the character on that um on that cover. Right. One of the things I, um, I had back the, that same panel that Cindy Pond was on, Melinda mm-hmm. Lowe was on and she's, I mean, she's such an interesting person. Just like, she could just sit and like talk and I would absorb everything that she would say. Cause she's so smart. And she had talked about, um, when she was writing her, um, uh, the duology, uh, Ash and Huntress? Uh, actually, the other one, the sci-fi one. Adapt- oh, Adaptation. Adaptation and... In, I think Inheritance. Oh. Inher- 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Sounds right. And she had, um, someone asked the question of this panel. That was an awesome panel. It was like Sarah Reese Brennan, Melinda Lowe, Cindy Pond, and like one other person. It was a really good panel. And um, someone asked um, the panel, like, you know, what inspired this, you know, your latest book or something like that. And uh, Melinda Lowe talked about, she's like, so love triangles are a big thing right now. <laughs> and so I thought, well, what if we had, what if I wrote, you know, like a sci-fi adventure that had a bisexual love triangle, like, oh. you know, and like, and you can see like, and I did this certain thing like, oh, that's so like, that's so cl- like, clever is a terrible word, but that's so like, so there's this thing that's big and let's see what happens when there's these characters that are not necessarily the ones that are always depicted in this thing that's big, but they still should have their story. Yeah. And it was, and she talked about it like super brilliantly and sort of blew my mind a little bit with it. Cause she was, um, it was like, that's, and that's also where it's, you know, like a bisexual girl should get to have that story of, mm-hmm. you know, this creepy X-Files type thing happening in her world. And right. that's, you know, and I thought that was such an interesting and astute. That was the other thing that I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten more things than. Do you guys hear my dogs going ballistic? <laughs> <laughs> they're really after that popcorn. Well, they're two doors away. Like, I have two doors shut between them. And this is what? This is Searsha. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with them. They're wrestling. Oh. Uh, Searsha's body slamming Rory. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. The old dog is body slamming the young dog. The small <laughs> dog is body slamming the big dog, however you want to put it. <laughs> Um, anyway, it, it, sorry to get, um, sidetracked, but I also, you know, it's, when I started thinking of the ones that I, the books that I really liked that had, um, that I would recommend in terms of recommending books related to this podcast, like a lot of them sort of hit that vein of being people who that was one part of their identity, but then there were but they still got to have a, a full story related to an adventure or related yeah. to... Yeah. And it was not related to that one part of their... Right. Identity. They were more than just this one piece right. of their identity. And that's why I like that fake ID book so much is, I mean, it's a really exciting story. Like, it's a really gripping sort of crime novel. And I've been trying to write a review of it for, like, three weeks, and I can't do it because I it's, like, very hard to write about without basically ruining the book. Oh. It's one of those where it's like, well, I can tell you some stuff that happens in the first chapter, and then I can't tell you anything else, because it'll ruin it, and you, you know, so, um, but, you know, the, the main character, like I said, is African-American. There's a girl that is, um, she's Hispanic that he's kind of into, um, and though his whole school looks like what you think a high school in sort of, you know, suburban, I don't even, it's like the suburbs of, uh, oh, like Norfolk, Virginia. Uh-huh. So where there's like, you know, some military presence nearby, you know, like what you'd expect. And that's what this, this school looks like. And it feels natural and real. And, you know, he, there's some sort of funny stuff where, you know, he, the first thing when this kid, it, he changes schools all the time because he's waiting for the witness protection program. And so, like, the first, he's, like, there's this thing where he's, like, okay, I'm waiting for the first person to ask me if I'm going to play on the basketball team. 
like uh-huh. that's you know yeah. so it's sort of like he's sort of um some kind of tongue-in-cheek humor about um stereotypes and that sort of thing that i appreciated but he also got the cat he got to solve a mystery yeah like a real and like un like unravel a conspiracy and like you know right, which is cool which is cool and fun and relevant and like i think a lot of kids who don't see themselves represented in books would be excited to see you know right. these characters getting to solve a mystery and fall in love and into these things that are right. like they're not exclusive to one particular group in our society right so do you guys have books that you like as far as diverse books well, since Sarah mentioned, uh, you know, the Romani culture and uh, gypsy culture, I did read Burning by Elena K. Arnold, and that ah. has a gypsy main character. And I really, really loved that book. It was one of my favorites. And I know the other Sarah, <laughs> Sarah Moon, loves that book, too. So I think that's a really good recommendation. And I recently read There Will Come a Time by Carrie Arcos, and that one comes out in April, so it didn't come out yet. But the main character is a Filipino character, and it's 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 very well done. So I think something to keep an eye out on. That sounds really cool. I'll have to check that out. Right now, well, one of my favorite books is uh, Silver Phoenix by Cindy Pond. And um, I was laughing earlier when we were talking about food because she – does such an excellent job with food in that story. Like I was hungry the entire time I was reading that book. Oh. Um, but that, I don't know. Have you guys read that one? No. I no. It's, it's an ancient, uh, um, I want to say ancient China inspired. Like it doesn't take place in a real place, but it's, it's sort uh-huh. of, you know, you get that cultural sense, um, fantasy story. And, and the first book is Silver Phoenix and the second one is Phoenix Rising. So that's one of my favorites. Um, and I just started reading When the Stars Go Blue because of your recommendation, Laura and Sarah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would have been Sarah's because I haven't read those yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just, so I just started that one and I also just started Born Confused by, um, I don't want to mispronounce her name, but Tanuja Desai Hidier. I love where the, where the star go, when the stars go blue. Sorry, I had, to I, think... I had to step out for a minute because my dogs apparently had to pee. Um, <laughs> Karen F. Ferrar's books in general, I would recommend all of them very highly for someone looking for. Sorry, to, uh, you guys probably talked about this already. Well, I haven't read any of her books yet, but I remember what? I came across it. I know. Well, I you, I think it was the new adult podcast that you guys first mentioned when the stars go blue. So, um, so I have that one now, and I've just started it. She she does some really wonderful. Her books, I find them very culturally rich. Um, mm-hmm. They feel very immersive in that, and 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 I it's really they're very rewarding in that sense. Like it really feels like. You, where, where, when the stars go blue in particular, because she's a, um, the narrator is um, Cuban American, and this, you know, that's very interesting. You know, she grew up in Miami, and there's a lot of, um, you know, strong identity in Miami, the Cuban community, and um, just really well done. But it's also just about a girl who's growing up and trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life and figuring out stuff with her family and you know, who she wants to be and all of that stuff that's, like, um, really just so well done. And then she has another one that's um, Adios to My Old Life, 
which I really loved as well, which is um, she's uh, the main character in that one is competing in an American Idol star, American Idol type star search thing oh. um, for the next big uh, Latino star. Like, this, the next big sensation. Oh. So, there's a lot of stuff in that um, in that book as well that's um, quite well done and really, you know, with family again and, like, that figuring stuff out, but also, like, because the main character is competing to sort of be molded into this very specific type of celebrity, mm-hmm. you know, so whoever wins this competition is going to be representing this whole sort of huge culture in America and it's that's very disparate and different and um there's so even though it's in a sense it's got a really nice romance and you know the this the competition aspect is really entertaining and fun there's these little touches of like all of those elements so I really and it's not about the accents really good too all of her books are great well, she's definitely on my list now. On my I know. radar. She's so. one of those authors that, like, I, I don't understand why she is not more well-known and not, um, you know, people don't, haven't heard of her books. And I don't know, um, you, I just, I don't know if they are maybe get a bit of that, like, oh, these are about Hispanic characters they are not relevant to me sort of mm-hmm. thing. Because I, I, because it just is inexplicable to me. She's got great covers, you know, they're the storylines are very accessible and relatable. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know why she's so under the radar. Um, Cause they're really, they're really wonderful books. I'm looking at Goodreads and it seems one is a 2006 and 2007, 2010. So maybe cause they are a little bit older, but yeah, they are yeah. really under, so you don't in, hear. A- even in 2010, um, when where the stars go blue, when the stars go blue came out, it did not get a lot of attention. Um, and I, it's strange to me. <laughs> it makes me sad. So. Yeah, it's, I, I like to sometimes, you know, so many books come out every year. Um, it's hard to keep up, but I do like to kind of go back um, a few years and see what was happening and, and try to find books that way too. I think like, otherwise you miss out on a lot. Um, yeah. I just read After Tupac and Dee Foster by Jacqueline Woodson. And I don't know what her most recent um, I think maybe Under Meth Moon might be her most recent book, which I have on my neck, but I haven't read yet. Um, but she's she's one who's been around for a long time, and, you know, I've read several of her, her books and just really enjoyed them too. So, you know, sometimes you just have to dig a little bit. And yeah. sites, sites like Goodreads and, you know, just the Internet in general now make it a lot right. easier to find books. And I know that, you know, with a lot of bloggers and people are trying to actively diversify their bookshelves. So there's a lot of blog challenges about reading diverse fiction, um, whether that's cultural diversity, sexuality, all different things. And um, so it's, it's at least easier now to, to actually find stuff if you're willing to actively diversify your, your reading list. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are putting effort into, you know, providing like being a resource for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um so, which I think is really great, because I think that can only help with the goal, which is to have more diverse books out there for everybody. Yes, especially now. I mean, there's so many more resources now, and there's, like, a lot more. There's much more dialogue about the topic, so it's easier to find mm-hmm. diverse books. 
Um, did you mention the book we read for book club while I had stepped out? Oh, no, I had not. Oh. Yeah, one book that we had read was called The Shattering by Karen Healy. It takes place in New Zealand, and that has a lot of interesting things going on, but one of the main characters, uh, his name is Sione, and he is Samoan, and he has a lot of racial things to deal with uh, when he goes to New Zealand. Uh, but I thought that she handled them really well in that book. Yeah, I thought that was just so well done, and I mean, it. in in general, there's, um, you know, there's a, a character comes out in that book as well, but it's, the way it's handled as, like, part of the story was yeah. really well done. Like, just really, really well done, and a lot, a lot of stuff with identity in that book was, and it's, it's a sort of urban fantasy mystery, and, but there's all this sort of richness in it. I was really, yeah. I was really surprised and impressed by, um, those elements of that book. And I didn't know any of that was in there when I started reading it. And yeah, it was a really, it was a really nice surprise to, um, see that in what is, um, effectively, a you know, a, a paranormal mystery. <laughs> well, and then like, well, speaking from that part of the world too, I think Melina and Marquetta, does a really good job um, in looking for Al Brandy and saving Francesca. Like she is of Italian descent, and um, she writes a lot of her books. Her characters are have a strong Italian background, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm not super familiar with this, but it seems to me that being of Italian descent in Australia is different than being yes. of like. English descent. I, I have a really good friend who's um, of Italian descent, um, who's um, Australian and lives in Sydney, and it is very, um, Italians and Greeks are very much othered in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's changed, it's changing, but historically speaking, that's been, um, and there's some really horrible slang that people use just casually in conversation um, to relate to um, people who are of that descent, and um, I think Melina, Mar- do it. Is it Marchetta or Marchetta? I think it's Marchetta, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I always feel badly when I pronounce people's names incorrectly, but she, um, in in those books, is depicts that the way that that community is so um, perceived as like not completely Australian. Yeah. Well, do yeah. both of those books take place in Australia? Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah all her books like do. Of, yeah, of dealing with the cultural identity that people mm-hmm. struggle with when, like, and and I can really relate strongly to this also, is just when you are a product of an immigrant family, and so you mm-hmm. have, like, this dual culture thing where a lot, those cultures might not have very much in common, and you have to find a way to bridge those in order to, like, fit in with your family and with your classmates and things like that, and I think that she does a really good job of, like, showing how, like, how hard that is without, like, othering her characters. Um, and this is an adult novel, but, so, sorry to people who are here just for the YA. Um, (laughs) deal with it, people! (laughs) I read across all whatevers. How dare you! I know! (laughs) Um, Traitor! I know. Um, but, uh, one of my favorite one of the things that kind of always surprised me is how little in like urban fantasy and steampunk and these sort of these 
these genres where they people get to basically build their world from scratch. Mm-hmm. How oftentimes it's not all that different from our existing world or our perception of our existing world. Uh-huh. Like it tends to be like lots of white people, lots of straight people, you know. Yeah. And it's like we well, can build your world from the ground up. <laughs> you know, like like what would you what would what would be most interesting and I think it would be a world that's more complex. But um uh I really like particularly the third book and I Raquel I'm not sure if you've read this in um Mel Jean Brooks um her steampunk series um Riveted. Have you read that, Raquel? No, I do have, I do have the first book, don't but read I haven't. The first book. No, don't read the it. First book is terrible. <laughs> okay, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> See, you don't need to read them in sequence. They're not. Okay. They're like they all take place in the same world, um, but they're they're standalones. Okay. And okay. the third book is riveted. And what I loved about the, there's so many things I loved about that book because it's really a book about like um, she writes these steampunk romances that are um, really. Well, not the first book, but the the second one's really fun, and then the third one is, like, really weighty. Like, it's a pretty intense, deep book, um, and it really deals with identity and um, how identities are constructed and perception, and um, the dude in that book is, um, uh, has multiple prosthetics, um, because in this world they have these very complex mechanical prosthetics when people lose limbs, and um, the way he is seen as a very scary thing because he, and almost like is not a human because he has, um, because he has these prosthetics and the way like disabled people are heavily othered in that world. Mm -hmm. And so there's some really, um, really kind of, uh, like emotionally intense moments with, um, him and sort of, um, him coming to terms with like the way people see see him and who he is are very different. And um, then the female lead in that book, um, she grew up in what's sort of a kind of a lesbian colony, oh. and has very different um, in Iceland, and has a very different perception from much of the world as to um, sexuality, and she sees it as this very fluid thing. And the people she grew up with sees that sees it that way, um, but in the world that she's in, because she's involved in um, trading, and it's a very complicated world. But that book is so well, like just so creative and inventive, and in having these characters that are different from the world around them and are in many ways marginalized in the world around them Mm -hmm. and the way they navigate their relationship and they have to fight some bad guys and because it's an adventure um but it's still sort of in the structure of sort of like a you know a romance and I was that's such an impressive and I have a review of it on the blog um that I actually think is one of the better reviews I've written I have to say (laughs) and um, (laughs) uh, but I just is such a um well done, like thoughtful uh, novel in in terms of identities and really, in some ways, pushing the boundaries of what is expected in that genre. But I think a lot of people are pushing those boundaries, and I, I think I, sometimes I'm a little unfair on that particular genre. But um, really impressive, and I highly recommend it if um, people want to get out of the their the sort of YA thing. It's definitely adult. There is sex. Don't be <laughs> It's actually not very, it's not like the first book. Um. <laughs> also, there's Where the Stars Still Shine yeah, by I Trish Dollar. Yeah. 
Did I steal it? Because it was on the outline. So. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really steal it. I mean, I love that book. Let's talk about it. <laughs> That's one of those books we can kind of relate to anything we talk about. Yeah, we talk about it a lot. They're, Trish, she's just yeah. pretty much aces in my book. Yeah. But I thought Trish Dollar did a really good job in that book of showing how hard it would be to, like, Callie has been separated from her family from a young age. And then she ends up going back to live with her family. And they're a very strong Greek-American community in Florida. Um, and she doesn't really have any idea of what it, what it means to be Greek. And it's a really hard adjustment for her. And I thought that was really well done. Yeah, it, it, because they're, the cultural pressure and, and the, for her, the pressure to be part of that culture again was quite overwhelming. Right. And, and that was, that was one thing that she really struggled with. And I could see why that would be really hard. It's like all these people think that this is a part of you and it's not because she hasn't been around it. She doesn't really know how to just be, she wants to kind of be what they want her to be, but yeah. she doesn't know how. And I yeah. thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And coming back to food in that book, um, there's this very popular dish in the book. It's called the dolma. And um, the dolma, we actually have, there's, a, it's a Mediterranean, Mediterranean thing. And there's actually like a Middle Eastern Lebanese kind. Mm-hmm. So the way it was described in the book was very Greek, but I immediately realized what it was. But I also realized that it wasn't the way that um, Lebanese people make it or, and the way that personally my family makes it but it was it was just such a thing that I was like yes that's the Greek way and it's I kind of related to it because I kind of know what this is but it's just it's also different but I think just coming back to food and how important food is just because like as soon as she described the ingredients I was like yeah that's not that's not the same when I eat but I do know what it is so I think and that and when you talk about the you know the way generational relationships work and uh-huh. um, that book is a really good example of um the way those generational yeah real, the way there's like expectations the intersection of yeah. like culture and generations and expectations um was really well done in that um in that novel i'm glad someone put that on our list because that was one i'd forgotten about and that's a really yeah i thought that was a good one and then I also really liked um, Teen Human by Sarah Reese Brennan. I loved that book. We read that. Yeah. We read that for our book club. Have but you? I thought that book was really smart in a lot of ways. But I really appreciated the fact that she had, like, an... I really think that Sarah Reese Brennan, in general, does a really good job of writing characters... Um, like diverse characters and in particular she's written a number of Asian characters and I think she does a really good job of acknowledging their culture without othering them and I think that's one of the biggest challenges that authors face when they're writing diverse characters and she does Mm -hmm. a very good job I think she's very thoughtful in her approach too I feel like she's very thoughtful in her approach to all of her characters mm-hmm. and, like, their backstory and where they come from, that you have a really good sense of who this person is, and then you know what motivates them and why yeah. they make decisions. Um, I, I think she's she's really, really excellent at that. Yeah. I think she doesn't, honestly, I don't think she gets enough credit for it, if I'm going to be. I don't think so either, because I don't really, I feel 
like I don't see her on list as far as books about diverse characters very much. Mm-hmm. And maybe but it's because she writes, does. again, maybe it's because she writes, like, sort of these fantasy-type novels. Possibly. And those books don't often seem to be, because those lists are often populated by a certain sort of book. Yeah. Um, that could be, but, like, I think that, I think she's one of the authors where I feel like she does a really good job with that. Which, and, I mean, I, I feel like it must be really difficult. I don't know, would you agree with that, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked her um, Unspoken. Mm-hmm. Was the, in the first in the Lindbergh legacy, Lindbergh legacy. I haven't read the second she, one yet. I'm but scared to read the second. I started. I know it. the way the I first got one ended. Pages <laughs> in, and I was like, "Oh crap!" I don't. So I stuck it. This is like how psychotic I am. I took the book and I stuck it in my nightstand and I slammed the drawer closed. <laughs> and it's like there. That's whenever good I, though. And a book can elicit that reaction. I, like open that drawer. I'm like, I can't read you yet. And I went through this whole <laughs> drama because I ordered it from the book depository, so I get it earlier than its U.S. release. And then you still haven't read it. And then I still haven't read it because now I'm scared of the book. It's like staring at me when I open the drawer. It's I'm like, don't die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think she, you know, she's a very thoughtful and careful writer, like you were saying, and she blogs a lot too about yeah. just about issues of writing diverse characters and feminism and all different things. And I think in general, um, she's one that. I've admired for, you know, being willing to put herself out there and, and just like, again, continue these difficult conversations. So I thought she did a great job with that book. I haven't read the Demon's Lexicon. Um, I definitely recommend Team Human. I think it's a really smart book. I think it's a really lot of interesting issues in that. And it's kind of like a parody on the vampire thing. But it's but a it's, loving parody. Like, it's not mean. Yeah. It's, it's but actually it's smart. It's very intelligent and, like, pokes at a lot of issues in, it's, like, kind of meta because it sort of pokes at a lot of issues in, like, YA fiction in yeah. general. And I, like, I appreciate that. Like, but it's not in a, it's not done in a mean way or anything like that. It's very kind and respectful of all the genres it's playing with and all the character archetypes that it's playing with and it, it's I really have a lot I think that book has a lot going on yeah I'm also really biased towards that book because the main character reminds me a lot of me uh, yeah <laughs> the main character is basically if someone were to write a fictionalized version of Laura that would basically be the main character is very Laura she is she really is <laughs> Now I definitely have to check it out. <laughs> she, no, she really, if anyone wants to really know what Laura's like, you read, read Teen Human. Human by Sarah Brennan and Justine Larbalestie. <laughs> I mean, because it, it's she is kind of um yeah, she's kind of got um your knack for sarcasm. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> See. <laughs> kindest way. <laughs> so, I think those were most of the books. Oh, and I've been reading the, um, I've been listening, I'm not done with it yet, but The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian mm-hmm. by oh, I love that. Alexi, which I think is, I really love that book so far. It's really, really close to the end, and I think that he really does an amazing job with difficult subject matter. Yeah. So yeah, that 
that book does not pull any punches. No, and but he still is funny. He's really yeah. Funny. He doesn't shy away from the tough stuff, but he also doesn't shy away from humor and yeah. you know laughing at tragedy. It's a lot of people cope that way, and I yeah. I really appreciated it about that book. Yeah, I, his his writing in general is is quite funny. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. even has because I've read some of his poetry and some of it is some of his poetry is really funny which you don't even really yeah expect. you don't really see that too like much. <laughs> you know that that and uh, he has a short story collection that's really good oh okay um, if you're into short stories actually you know Sarah that short story collection you have a story in what is it Defy the Dark she's like I have no idea uh-huh. what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> no I do. <laughs> That's the only short story I've ever written, so um, I know. <laughs> I've been I've been reading that off and on for a, like quite some time because I've sort of been reading mm-hmm. like a short story when I've been like waiting for things, and um, there are some wonderful stories in that. If you know to get a sense of um, some of the really uh, some characters who are really well written and some a lot of the authors we've mentioned have stories in that collection and um like melinda lowe's story in there is fantastic like really really good and there's several others that um have um and i haven't read the whole thing yet that have uh interesting characters that are definitely reflective of our world and there are lots of different genres and that sort of thing so i it's one that I would definitely put on um, the list. Not every single one is that way, but it's 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 quite a nice representation. Yeah, that's a, it's a good cross section. It think. is. It's a really good cross, and not at all related to this topic. But Courtney Summers' one, which is the first one, <laughs> well, we have it's to talk about so Courtney Summers. It's so Courtney Summers. We can't get through a podcast. Without I know. Talking about her. Hi, Courtney. <laughs> I haven't read her yet. I really need oh, to come back. What? She's so good. Oh, I know. She's no. been on my list for, for like forever and a day, so I don't oh, know. Oh, man. You should read, um, gosh, should she read Zombies or should she read Mean Girls? That's a hard choice. <laughs> well, I know she has one of her, two of her books are like buying oh, together. So, up. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah so. Oh, some, I think some girls some are. Some girls are. Yeah. Cracked up to be. Yeah. yeah. That would be a good choice. I, you know, I, I, the zombie book is really good too. I just got I need to read that one. It's really it's good. It's really good. It's, it's hard for me to decide if that one or Some Girls Are is my favorite. I haven't read Some Girls Are yet, so. <laughs> that book is good. <laughs> it's disturbing too. So anyway, yeah, we can't, we really can't go a podcast without working Courtney in there somewhere. I know. It's like the little Easter egg in all of our podcasts <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Into two episodes because it's going to just be too long. Yeah, it's been two hours. (laughs) Um, But um, in terms of like resources, and I think y'all can probably provide more um, insight into this. If people want to, and I really think it's a good thing to do to pursue like broadening their reading. um, You know, what are some of the? As there's some really good um, resources that have emerged recently, like. yeah, if you're looking to learn yeah. more about this topic or more about books. To find know. recommendations. Because um, I think that the Tumblr, I think it's a Tumblr, right? The Diversity and YA. Yeah, that's a Tumblr. Yeah, yeah. That's a Tumblr. 
That is fantastic. That's a really good Tumblr. I mean, that one is run by Melinda Lowe and Cindy Pond, and it's a really great. That was, you know, one of the early resources that came out of, you know, a couple of years ago, I think. But they do, they do a lot. They blog about issues. They repost things. They recommend books. It's a really great I, resource. Yeah, that's where I found that book. I found Fake ID um, mm-hmm. was through that Tumblr. And, oh, okay. Um, like for a while ago, because he had a more the, he, the author had a guest post recently, but there was a, something a reference to Fake ID, maybe when the cover was revealed or something that piqued my interest. Um, and I found several books that I've ended up really liking thanks to that particular um, Tumblr because they and they dig into a lot of different aspects um, in that on that Tumblr, and they have some great guest posts, and just, it's fantastic. Another one that I've just um, started reading through is Disability in Kid Lit Tumblr. That's the other one that I was thinking of. Yeah, and I think um, Cody Keplinger is one of the the contributors, or she might even be the founder of that one. she might be the founder. Yeah, I read one of the posts, and it was really good. Yeah. Yeah, so that one has a lot of interesting, again, resources and discussions and things like that. Yeah, and um, then the CBC Diversity Tumblr is also really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks a lot about the different issues with diversity and, and publishing specifically. I feel like it talks a lot about that. Yeah. So. Rich in Color is an, another one. I think you had that one on your list. Rich in Color Tumblr. Yeah. I actually follow a lot. Oh, my goodness. These, I'm, I'm like, yes, I've read these. You're on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, then another one, this is for, um, although they do have some YA stuff occasionally, but it's mostly adult. The Romance Novels in Color blog has a lot of, um, it's like pretty much like just a, your regular old book review blog, but they um, review um, books that are, um, that at least one of the characters in this, one of the main characters in the romance novel is not white. So... It's a really eclectic mix, um, so pretty much um, every subgenre within that genre is represented, and it's it's pretty um, it's really worth reading and subscribing to um, if you're interested in that particular genre because they do do a nice job of they write about a lot of books I've not seen covered on any of the other big any of the big uh, blogs in that genre, um, so I definitely that's a good one. I think the Lee and Lowe, um, I don't know, do they have their own Tumblr or their own... Um, no, Lee and Lowe does have their yeah. own Tumblr, which I know because they follow me. Oh, yeah, I hate Yeah, I don't know why, <laughs> because I have... <laughs> they do a lot of, again, like the same thing, like, but also from a publishing insider perspective, which is interesting. And they're one of the publishers that's actively seeking and publishing diverse fiction, too. Right. So they've been really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Forever Young Adult, um, which... Uh, they have a Heck Yeah Diversity series, and they have a big series where they talk about, like, books, and they interview authors about different diverse issues and things like that, and so it's, you know, it's a little bit give and take with that site in general, but I think that series is pretty good. <laughs> you guys will put links to all of these up yes, there. Yes, and I'll put links to all of these up there. Um, but, you know, I found, like, I've been really... Because I think I'm sort of your stereotypical reader in a lot of ways. Like, I sort of gravitate to a certain sort of thing and a certain sort of story. And it generally are characters who look like me and 
whose lives are not all that different from my own. And I've been trying really hard to be better about that. Um, and these resources are very accessible. But I also think, I mean, I also think it's important for me, like, because I do, I've been trying to, you know, follow these resources and pay more attention. And it's also made me much more critical of, um, whereas I think there's some things that I've read and I've thought, well, that's, you know, this is good that this book isn't just all white people. And now I think if I were to go back and revisit some of those, I would have been like, oh, but you know, like, let's like, you know, unpack how this, is this portrayal really, you know, how do I feel about what's, uh, the more dialogue I read about the way diversity is portrayed, the more critical it's made me. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think that's good because I think it used to be that if you had a whitewashed token character, that was enough. And I feel like people now are saying, no, that's not enough. You need to have like nuance. There needs to be richness to this. Um, and I think it's good that we're moving from the token thing not being enough and not being acceptable anymore. Like, you have to do more, you know. You know, and a, a big part of that is just respecting your audience, you know. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. white, necessarily. Yeah, I so. agree. And to just not, again, to revisit that, but just not to be afraid to try right. and to put yourself out there. And, you know, people are pretty much... All you have to do is ask, like, hey, can can someone look this over for me? Can someone help with this translation? Can someone tell me if this reads authentically? People are really willing to help. You know, it's it's not that scary. Yeah, I think people are pretty <laughs> generous with their, their yeah. desire to help. Mm-hmm. Because really it fosters hard. understanding. Yeah. And there was a um, Brie from Romance Around the Corner. She's one of my favorite bloggers, and she wrote a review recently of a fantasy that had a um, – had a lot of Spanish in it, and she's a native Spanish speaker, and she was really distressed because a lot of the Spanish was just incorrect. Like, it wasn't like a regional thing or a dialect yeah. thing. It was it was it's incorrectly wrong. used. And one of the things she lamented was that it felt like at no point was, did someone ask, like, is is this right? And, um... It's like they just, like, and, look at Google Translate. And well, like, yeah, <laughs> and, like, and honestly, also, language you learn in school isn't necessarily the same as the way language is used. Used. And, and um, so, and, you know, Bree and I were chit-chatting about this a little bit, but, um, there are people who will, who will tell you if you've gotten it right. And right. the internet in particular makes it, you know, pretty easy to, to reach out to folks. And so it becomes a... It, it it feels like necessary to do that when yeah um and to be aware with maybe you because it's hard to get everything right and there it's better right. to have people who are telling you that before something is a thing in the world <laughs> right so um anyway uh you want to wrap us up or have anyone have any last thoughts as we wrap up Raquel there? No, I'm good. You yeah, guys are like good. <laughs> we covered a lot, but it's funny because we, we covered so much, but it, fe- it still feels it like we feels like just there's so, so much more to say. And I mean, but, I think it's just it's all. I think having these conversations are important. Yeah, and because um, we're not going to answer all the, the questions. <laughs> Well, I think, I mean, I would really encourage people to come onto the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast website <laughs> and participate in the discussion because it's such an important one. It is. And I, I mean, I think that the more people who can add their perspective, the better because 
it's because I'm always sort of learning and feeling like I my thinking is evolving and I think that's important. Any final thoughts, Laura? No, I think we covered it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But like but total oh, but thank you to our guests because we totally love talking to you guys and really appreciate you guys' time for this really long podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Guys. I loved it, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is definitely like um like Sarah said, this is definitely a conversation we want to continue and I'm sure we'll do other podcasts in the future dealing with um aspects of this subject. Yeah, maybe in um, like another year or so. Yeah. Or so. <laughs> it's season three. <laughs> and also I would just like to issue a challenge to readers out there to just actively diversify your shelves. It's sometimes not as easy as just walking into a bookstore and grabbing something off the YA shelf. Um sometimes you do have to do a little digging, but you know, support those authors of color who are out there writing stories and support just support authors in general and just, you know, do do your homework. Expose yourself to something new. All right. So it's the Sarah Oakler diversity. The gauntlet yeah, just yeah, been thrown down. Guys, Sarah has challenged yes. you. And I'm super intimidating, let me tell you. <laughs> I, I have heard that, actually, that you're quite frightening. You're really hard. Yeah, to Laura knows. I mean, she did yeah. stalk me at well, my own I know home. How, so. I know how you Buffalo girls are. So you know how we are. I just, you know. It comes from years and years of being disappointed by the Buffalo Bills. You have to develop <laughs> thick skin. By snow. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all-around nerdy badassery at clearyesfullshelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until next time, Clear Eyes Full Shelves can't lose.